Good morning, Longview Point, and Happy Easter. While we hate that we can't be together for worship, we are so excited that you decided to join our online service. We can't wait to see what God is going to do in people's hearts and lives as we celebrate the risen Savior today. We want you to know that we as a staff are here for you. Whether this is your first experience or whether you've been here since the church first began, we would love to serve you in any way that we can. So without further ado, let's get to worship. Today we're worshiping the risen Savior. He is risen. Good morning. What a what a blessed morning. I just want to read two things out of out of Psalms, two verses. It's been in my reading lately. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with good things of your house, of your holy temple. Yeah, I read those verses and I, I just I thought about the fact that God adopted me into his family. I was dead in my sins and and he offered a way when he died on the cross for me. And and this morning as you're out there, if you're, if you're a child of God, and, and I just want you to think about that day when he adopted you and he changed your life and he called you to be a part of his family. And then maybe you're out there watching this morning and, and maybe you're not a part of this family. Maybe you're just trying to check this thing out, this Christianity thing out, and you're not sure. I kind of think about back to when there was an opportunity for me in college with a group that I sang and played with to sing at a, at a prison. And we were carrying our instruments down the corridor and, some, and a couple of the trustees had our huge speakers carrying it with them and one of the one of the guys behind the bar said hey I, uh, if you'll give me a, a a water i'll carry that for you and and without missing a beat that prisoner who knew jesus said if you come listen to what these guys have to sing about you'll have living water flowing through you you you'll never thirst again and i remember what an impression that made on me that guy loved jesus and he knew who the lord was and this morning if you'll listen to these songs and the words of these songs if you'll listen to brother wade in a little bit Maybe today is your day, and you'll, you'll have that same reason to be excited, just like we do, that, that Christ lives in us. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried it was my dream Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day You called and I've been out of that grave 
you that for endless days we will sing your praise. Thank you, Lord, again for what you've done for us, Lord, for doing what we could not do for ourselves, Lord, for dying on the cross but not staying there, Lord, that you're alive, you're risen. Oh, Lord, we just bless you. We just praise you. Lord, bless the word now as it is proclaimed. Let it not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number 19. John's Gospel, chapter number 19. We'll begin reading in just a moment in verse number 1. I want to break um, for today from our series in 1 John uh, to focus on the cross and uh, the implications of the cross, what it means for us that God's only Son would bear our sin on the cross and be raised again the third day. This is central to who we are. This is not just one among a number of stories strung together. We are gathered this morning. We are who we are by faith in Jesus because of a cross and an empty garden grave. The resurrection is what holds us together. What we celebrate on, on this day is the foundation of our faith. Paul instructed the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15 that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are fools and above all to be pitied. I, I, I hope the significance of this day and this, the resurrection is celebrated every time that we gather, every first day of the week is the Lord's day, the day of his resurrection. But I, I hope that especially today you'll give careful thought to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its bearing on your life. We're going to focus on just one little phrase, in fact, just one word in the Greek text. But in order to get there, I want us to begin in verse number 1 of John chapter 19. If you would, read along with me. The Bible says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on, its head, on his head, and threw a purple robe around him. They repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priest and temple police saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus didn't give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me. Don't you know that I have the authority to, authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Verse 11 may be my favorite of all of Jesus' statements in the New Testament. Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. 
But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about six in the morning. He told the Jews, here's your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? The response from the chief priest was, we have no king but Caesar. So then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. Therefore, they took Jesus away. Carrying his own cross, he went out to what is called Skull Place, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put on the cross. The inscription was, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. And they also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. They did this to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed the sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. I want to invite you to focus your attention on the little three-word phrase in verse 30. It is finished. We don't have real indications as to how Jesus made the statement, whether it was murmured under the agony and duress of the moment or shouted under the agony and duress of the moment. But it's a powerful statement, however the statement was expressed. It is finished. It's just one little word in the Greek text, but it is powerful. It is profound. It speaks of the perfection of Christ's work accomplished at the cross. It speaks to the completion of what Jesus has done for us. There are seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. These are commonly referred to perhaps within your study Bible. There's a reference to the seven statements, and they're outlined there for you in a chronological order. Jesus begins by asking of God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A powerful statement as Christ looks compassionately upon those 
who would have him executed, even as he is in the process of crucifixion, he pleads for their forgiveness. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, assuredly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says here in our text in verses 25 through 27 to Mary, his mother, woman, here is your son, son, here is your mother, transferring responsibility for his mother Mary to John, the beloved disciple, providing for the needs of his mother even under the great pain and agony of the cross. He cries out in Matthew's gospel, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Referencing Psalm 22, perhaps alluding to the victory that was just on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. He says just briefly in verse 28, I thirst. But what Jesus says in verse 30, it is finished, is the summation of all of his earthly work. My invitation to you this morning is to meditate with me on what is intended, what is communicated in this short phrase, this single word in the Greek text. It is finished. I want to tell you this morning three things that it is finished means for us and four things that it does not. Number one, it is finished is an indication that the Old Testament symbols sacrifices, rituals, the covenant of the Old Testament, the typology of the, of the Old Testament is brought to its completion and its perfection in Jesus Christ. Everything we have been trained to hope and to long for in the Old Testament is fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. Je- Jesus is the tree of life from which we eat. It is finished in Christ. Jesus is the son through which the serpent would be dealt the death blow. It is finished in Christ. Jesus is the better Joseph who in spite of our hostility toward him would condescend to a foreign land, suffer and finally ascend to the right hand of power on behalf of his brethren. Jesus is the better Moses who mediates the law of God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablet of our heart, who has brought us out in Exodus, not from Egyptian bondage, but our enslavement to sin and death. Jesus is our manna from heaven. He is the living bread promised in the Old Testament. It is finished in Christ. Christ is Our water from the rock, he is the living water. He's the pillar of our protection, the glory of God in our midst. In Christ, it is finished. Jesus is the better Joshua who doesn't fail in delivering the promised rest. We have found our perfect peace in Jesus. It is finished. Jesus is our great high priest who offers a once and for all time sacrifice to atone for our sins and to satisfy every requirement of every Old Testament ceremonial law. Jesus is the prophet who speaks by his own authority, thus saith the Lord. Jesus is our long-awaited king, born in the line of David, a, a dynasty in and of himself, who elevates the needs of his people over those of himself, a king who has not and will not disappoint his people. Jesus is our temple, 
the place of God's abiding in our midst and even within us by the work of his spirit. It is in Christ that the glory of God dwelt bodily in the midst of his people. It is in Christ that we encounter the living God. He is the place of our worship toward him and him alone. We direct our praise. Jesus has fulfilled every stipulation of the Old Testament law and established a new and unconditional covenant between the Father, us and the Father, by His blood and through the work of His Spirit. It is finished in Christ. Secondly, it is finished seems to be an indication that the sufferings of Christ were finished, at least on some level there must have been a celebration in the heart of Jesus that the agony that we have read about in chapter 19 verses 1 through 30 was coming to its completion. The sufferings of Christ begin even in infancy as a holy Savior bears with life in a sinful world. There are the 40 days of wrestling with Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 as well as the gospel of Mark, Jesus fasting and praying, driven into the, to the wilderness and struggling under the weight of great temptation. There is the garden prayer where Jesus prays with such intensity that his sweat became as great drops of blood. There is the pleading with the Father that if there be a way that this bitter cup of his wrath would pass from him, nevertheless, that the Father's will would be done. There was the arrest and the betrayal as Jesus is left standing alone in the garden with his captors surrounding him. There is the trial that was a mockery and the beatings that would have occurred throughout the night as Jesus was tried time after time after time. There was the scourging that he endured. Perhaps Pilate assumed that if he were treated poorly enough that eventually he could win the sympathy and the compassion of the crowd that continued to cry outside, crucify him, crucify him. There is the scorn that he faced by those for whom he came to live and to die. The absence of compassion in the faces of those who looked upon him as he bore the weight of this agony and suffered the indecency of his treatment. The absence of compassion and mercy in the faces of those for whom he came to die. It was the cross. So easy for us to separate ourselves from the historical reality of what Jesus experienced at the cross. I think this is why motion picture depictions of what Jesus bore with over the past couple of decades have have been impactful for people. It's brought to life in some way before the eyes of those who watch the reality of, of the torment associated with this manner of execution. Jesus is bearing with what is perhaps the cruelest form of execution the world has ever known. And from that setting, in that context, Jesus cries, it is finished. If you can read of the sufferings of Jesus in a dispassionate or uh, with, with being less than affected by that, I would encourage you to read again and consider that the sufferings that Jesus endures, what he bears with there, he does for you and for me. 
it is finished means that the symbols, the sacrifices, the rituals, the foreshadowings of the Old Testament are brought to perfection in Jesus, but it also means here that his sufferings have come to an end. Thirdly, it is finished indicates for us here that the satisfaction of God's wrath against us is finished. God's wrath against sinful mankind is satisfied by the atoning sacrifice that Jesus makes for us. When Jesus cries here, it is finished. It means an end to God's wrath against those who would fix their faith and trust in Jesus. That bitter cup that Jesus prayed with agony about the evening before, Jesus drank to the last drop. The fullness of God's wrath against us was felt in full force in the body, in the bones of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's difficult for us to fathom the weight of what Jesus embraced under God's wrath at the cross when you consider that one man for his sins unatoned for spends an eternity in hell paying the penalty, the price for those sins and that an eternity is insufficient to atone for or to satisfy the full weight or guilt of those sins. And here Jesus, for all who would believe in him, suffers within a matter of hours the full weight of God's wrath against us. There is a heaviness about what Jesus experiences here that's beyond our comprehension. Jesus drank the bitter cup and he drank the last drop. On the day of atonement in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16 speaks of a sacrifice that's made for the sin of the people. The high priest was to offer the blood of a bull and a goat, and a scapegoat was to bear the sins of the people being sent out into the wilderness, out of the city, on behalf of the people. They would associate the sins of the people with the scapegoat and send him wandering out helplessly into the wilderness where he'd be devoured. He was carrying away the sins of the people. The blood of the bull and the goat were to be brought in and sprinkled about the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies, the place of God's presence, providing a blood atonement for the sin of the people. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his blood. Jesus was our scapegoat. Jesus carried our sin outside the gate into the wilderness, helplessly suffering the wrath of God against our sin. The blood of the atoning sacrifice was to be sprinkled about the mercy seat, the symbol of God's throne. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ was actually sprinkled about the foot of God's heavenly throne, satisfying the wrath of the living God against all who would trust in Jesus. If the blood of bulls and goats could for a season symbolically satisfy God's judgment against us, how much more does the blood of the only begotten Son of God satisfy the wrath of God himself against an unholy people? In Christ, 
the wrath of God against his people was, shat, was satisfied by his shed blood. This is our hope. This is our standing before the Father. Because of Jesus' blood and only because of Jesus' blood can we stand with confidence before the Father. There is no work, no effort, no striving in us that can win favor with God. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ. And that work is finished. That work is finished at the cross. Jesus Christ does not die for the mere possibility that we might be saved with the possibility in mind that we one day might do something that would enact his salvation. Our salvation is authored, perfected, and finished in Jesus. It is finished. One commentator noted this one Greek word, tetelestai, is the final statement of God declaring that everything he wanted to accomplish has been completed to perfection in the person and the work of his Son. You know what you need for your salvation? You need that God would send his son to earth, that he would live without sin, that he would bear your sin penalty on the cross, that at the moment of its completion, at the very moment that God's wrath against you was satisfied in the son, he would cry out, it is finished. I would be remiss if we didn't point to the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning. I I want you to know that that empty garden grave validates everything Jesus ever said or did. What, What sets us apart from all other world religions is that at the head of our faith stands not a prophet of some significance in history, but a living Lord Jesus Christ who not only bears the wrath of God against us at the cross, but is raised again on the third day. The resurrection is what holds us together. It is who we are. It is finished in Christ, and it is punctuated as the stone is rolled away and Christ walks forth in great victory. I want us to make note of a few things that it is finished does not mean for us. This morning. First, I want you to note that it does not mean that Jesus is finished. Jesus walks out of the grave three days later. There's always been throughout the history of the church speculation about what that period of time between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus looked like for him. Did he descend into the depths of hell? Did he ascend into heaven in some kind of way? Was there a battling with spirits in that period of time? I don't know what the logistics looked like. But I know that as our great high priest, Jesus offered his atoning blood at the foot of the throne of God on our behalf and sat down at the right hand of power. It certainly does not mean that Jesus is finished. His saving work had been perfected at the cross, but he would spend the next centuries and is active until now bringing perfect application to the work that was perfected at the cross. Secondly, it does not mean that the high priestly work of Jesus is finished. Certainly the sacrifice is made. Certainly atonement is offered on our behalf. But as Jesus walked out of the grave, he walked out with an agenda. 
And he has had much to say in the centuries since. The Bible says that Jesus prays for us. At the right hand of God, Jesus is in a unique position to pray for the good of his people. I'm helped and encouraged every time a member of our fellowship comes to me and says, Brother Wade, I'm praying for you in some way. You're so kind often to send text messages or call or send cards and just say, I want you to know, Pastor, that I'm praying for you. But there are a few things that give confidence to my soul, like the knowledge that at the right hand of God is the living Lord Jesus Christ who prays for me. The Bible says at his position of power, he intercedes on our behalf. Thirdly, I want you to know that it doesn't mean that all of our troubles somehow fade away. Surely with it is finished is some indication that the works of the devil have been destroyed. Well, you're still very much in the midst of fire here in the here and now. Jesus has promised to save us through the difficulties of the present life, but he certainly never offered us a guarantee that he'll save us completely from the difficulties of the present life. In fact, often he does to serve our good and his purpose, but often he's as pleased to allow that we bear with the challenges of the here and now for our good and to serve his purpose. Think through history at how often Jesus was at work through the difficulties of life to save his people and to bring glory to his name. Think of Noah in the ark. They were subject to 40 days on the ark. I've thought of Noah several times over the course of our shelter-in-place order. The only thing that I can imagine worse than being quarantined would to be quarantined on the ark with all of those smelly animals and nowhere to go, and it's raining for 40 days. Now, that's a depressing situation that I think we could all sympathize with in ways that we might not have been able to just days ago. But it's through the flood that God saves Noah and his family. Think of the Exodus. People of God were subject to many of the hardships the people of Egypt were subject to as God worked plague after plague after plague against the people. And surely they struggled wandering in the wilderness. There was fear mixed with faith as they crossed through the Red Sea. God saved them through, but he didn't save them from those difficulties. Think of the exile and all of the challenges that the people of Israel faced. Seventy years in their Babylonian captivity, returning to the land of Israel in disarray and shambles, needing now to be reconstructed. And all of the challenges that would come through that. We think often of the fiery furnace and the lion's den, Daniel and his three friends being saved through those experiences, but certainly not being saved from them. I want to encourage you that whatever it is that you find yourself in the midst of, that God has not abandoned you there. He is well pleased to be with his people, even in the valley of the shadow of death. It is finished. It's no guarantee that we'll be saved from the valley, but it is a, a guarantee that God is always with us in the valley, and that at the end of this race is perfect rest. Fourth, it doesn't mean that the saving work of God is complete. Here's what I mean by that. Surely the act that is essential to our salvation is finished at the cross. But as we've experienced, these centuries removed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord is still very much in the business of making effective the saving work accomplished by Jesus at the cross. Christ himself said, I have sheep that are not yet of this fold. One day, 
The full number of God's people will have heard the voice of the great shepherd and will have answered his voice. And when that day comes, I believe the Father will look to the Son and say, Son, go get your bride. But until that day, Jesus is still about the Father's business of seeking and saving that which was lost. Now, the reality that there is salvation in Jesus, again, is highlighted, it's emphasized, it is punctuated with a great big exclamation by the empty garden grave just outside the city of Jerusalem. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we read the Bible the way we read other stories, like something that happened in the far-off distant past that's disconnected to our present reality. We may observe from a distance, but we uh, don't seem to be willing to let that have real bearing on our life in the here and now. Or we read like we read fairy tales. We are moved or morals are communicated that help us in life in practical ways. But again, we never let that get deeper than the skin. It never pierces our heart as it should. I want to remind you this morning that at a very real moment in time in human history, God broke through, sent forth his son to intervene in human history, that he would live without sin, that a very real flesh and blood Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily, walked this earth that he was nailed to a wooden cross, not for crimes that he had done, but for your sins and for mine, that Jesus in the flesh bled and died there on the tree, that they took his body down and hastily buried him outside the city, that on the third day, on the first day of the week, on Sunday as we know it, at a very real moment in time in human history, chronicled not only by those who followed after him, but even after his enemy. This event is well attested to in history, that the once dead body of Jesus began to breathe again. And he stood and walked forth in great victory from the grave. The angelic announcement was made to Mary and the other women just outside the grave at at sunup on Sunday morning. Why seekest thou the living among the dead? Christ is not here. He is risen. And because of that, we are here today, 2,000 years removed from this monumental moment in history. We are still being impacted by what Christ has done for us. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is our hope. This is our salvation. It is finished in Christ. I hope, oh, I hope that you found your rest in Jesus. I hope, oh, I, I hope that you, you will reckon with the truths of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, if it is true for us that Jesus is the assurance of eternity in his presence, it is just as true that the absence of Jesus in your life, the rejection of Jesus, is the assurance of an eternity without him. I have experienced through the years that in, in, in terms of people responding to the gospel, Jesus saves sinners, a simple gospel. 
that, 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 that we are reconciled to the Father through the Son by the work of His Spirit. Responding to the message of the gospel is usually very minimal around the Easter season. I, 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 don't, I can't think back of any time in, in my 15 years as a pastor when Easter Sunday was a very fruitful time. And, and my, my theory is that the world and, and worldly influences have been very effective at making Easter, much like Christmas, about marketing and commercialism. And, and then we've, we've created this Easter culture. We dress a certain way. We go through a certain rhythm on Easter morning. There are certain things that we do. All of these things serving to distract us from what it is that we're gathered to celebrate. Namely, that Jesus is alive. My, my prayer this week for this Easter, an Easter that is so much different than any I've experienced before, that with, with much of the distraction out of the way, that God's people and perhaps even many of those who are far from God would be forced to give thought to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. I, I pray that this morning that you'll bow the knee to the living Lord Jesus Christ, serve him, worship him, make much of him, and walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I, I pray for any of you who perhaps have, have sat to listen under the impression that perhaps this is just what we do on Easter and we've nothing else to do. Maybe boredom will drive the unbelieving world to worship services like ours this morning. I, I want you to know, I, I want you to know that this is who we are. And that the invitation of, of Jesus 2,000 years ago to the weak and heavy laden that you would come to him to find your rest stands even today. Trust and believe in Christ. May the cry of Jesus be our strength, our stay, our confidence, even in the face of great difficulty. Brothers and sisters, may we say together with boldness this morning, it is finished. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, for its truth. Thank you most of all for your son. God, we acknowledge that apart from the shedding of Christ's blood, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope of eternity with you. We recognize that apart from the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus, that we have no hope of ever being reconciled to you. God, we know and we acknowledge that apart from the work of your Spirit, we have no hope of seeing the irresistible beauty of your Son crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected on our behalf. And so I plead this morning, God, that you give us eyes of faith that we might See Jesus for who he is. God, I, I pray that as we read familiar passages, as we contemplate and meditate on ancient truth, God, that we would read and consider, oh Lord, with fresh perspective and with eyes of faith. Help us to see God. Help us to sense with our heart. Help us to hear with our ears. God, I pray that today you'd be pleased to save some. That as families gather, that 
a child, a young person, a dad, would break down his, his or her pride and yield to the work of your spirit, be born again by the blood of Jesus. I pray, God, that the power of the resurrection would be known in our midst. God, I, I pray that what we struggle to put to words would be clearly communicated through the power and work of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would break us over our sin. God, we acknowledge that it is our sin that drove Jesus to the cross. God, we acknowledge the seriousness with which you consider sin, given that your Son is sent to a death by crucifixion that the guilt of sin would be atoned for. Lord, I, I pray that you would break our hearts over our sinfulness, that even as you give us eyes of faith to see the beauty of the Savior, that you give us hearts of contrition and brokenness over the condition of our lives. Cleanse us, wash us whiter than snow. Make us to be, Father, who you'd have us to be. Lord, be lifted up that all men might be drawn unto you. Lord Jesus, would you call, would the sheep of your pasture know the voice of the good shepherd? Save, God, we pray. Save. Sanctify your church. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been doing over the past few weeks, we've tried to give you a number of ways that you can communicate what the Lord is doing in your life. There's comment section. There are uh, the numbers of our pastors on the screen before you. We would love to hear how the Lord is working in your life, what God is doing in your uh, personal journey with Him. Maybe there's some of you who, uh, through the experiences of, of today and the past weeks and some of the challenges that have come before us, have been forced to sort of evaluate yourself, to examine yourself, to see that you're in the faith. I've said over and over here, and I'll continue to say for all of my ministry, where we live and where I serve, where we serve together, one of the great obstacles to the gospel's advancement is the self-deception that is so common in our culture that we are right when we are all together broken before God. It's not our church culture. It's not our church membership. It's not our baptism. It's not our behavior that we regard as more moral than many around us. It is only through the new birth by the blood of a resurrected Jesus that we can enter into the promise of heaven. It is only by the power of the one who cried, it is finished, that this mess that is our life can ever be made right. And I want to invite you this morning to stop your strivings and to rest in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to do just that and you don't know what the next steps look for, we'd love to hear from you and to counsel with you and encourage you. We'll do everything within our power to point you to what the Bible says about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My plea to you, wherever you are, is that you would come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come. Come. I'd like to lead you just in a brief prayer of commitment. I'm going to step aside, and Pastor Jason's going to come. Would you bow with me once more? God, wherever you find us as a faith family, it is our humble prayer, and I hope the sincere prayer of every person listening, that your will would be done 
in our life, even as it is in heaven. God, we ask that your spirit would help us to discern what that looks like for us in the minutes, in the days, and the years ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Um, I just want to say thank you, Faith Family. Thank you, Longview Point Family, for your faithfulness in giving. This is the time in our service when we normally receive our tithes and our offerings. And your generosity, even in this difficult season, has been just amazing in the way that you've continued to give faithfully. And we want to make those ways as easy as possible for you. So we have online giving through our church website. You can go there and uh, find out how you can be a part of giving online. And also, uh, you can mail the, the, the tithes and offerings into our church office as well. But we want to see every bit of those tithes and offerings continued to be used for God's glory, for His kingdom to be expanded across the street and around the world. Each year around Easter time is when we give our North American missions offering. In, in the fall between GIC and around Christmas time is when we do our Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes towards international missions and seeing God's kingdom expand among the nations and to support missionaries in all of the nations uh, around the world. But at this time of year at Easter is when we, when we do our North American missions offering. And that goes to support church planters that we are partnered with. That goes to support our Mississippi Baptist Convention and evangelism efforts and church planning in our state. And it also goes to the North American Mission Board to support missionaries and church planners all across this nation in North America. And you'll see the breakdown of how that is given uh, on the screen and where those monies will be going. And so throughout, throughout this month of April, we have the North American Missions offering available for you to give to. And so I would just ask that as you're able and as the Lord leads, that you would give so that God's glory, this wonderful resurrection message that we have, could be shared in our state, and in our nation, and in North America. And just thank you for your generous giving towards that in April. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on those resources. They're not ours, they're His. And we want to ask His abundant blessing on that. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can come into your presence this day. Father, aware of your goodness, resting in the power of the resurrection, the grave is defeated. Death is conquered. Lord, we are forever grateful. And Lord, I pray that you would take these resources, these monies, Father, these tithes, these offerings, and use them to get that message of life, of hope, of Christ, our resurrected King, to those who have yet to hear, to those who have yet to know, to those who have yet to bow a knee to Jesus. It's in his great and glorious name we pray. Amen.